0: Well, hi everyone at the IFCA convention. I'm sorry I can't be there personally, but this is now a virtual convention. I'm Ken Ham, CEO of Answers and Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter, and I've recorded a special presentation for your conference, and it's entitled Genesis and the State of the Culture. I pray that this will be impactful to you. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And it is afternoon. We're here in northern Kentucky. I'm at the Creation Museum. And here at the Creation Museum, I wanted to actually show you uh, some of the updates that we've done. Of course, those that have been here will have seen some of these aspects of it. It's a whole walk through the Bible. But we also have an entire new section now. And when you come into the Creation Museum, as you begin, uh, you walk through about a third of the museum that has been totally upgraded. All brand new exhibits, absolutely spectacular. It's really taken the museum to a whole new level. In fact, I haven't seen this sort of quality, as you will see here, in these first few exhibits. I haven't seen this sort of quality in museums around the world, the attention to detail. It's just absolutely incredible. Here in the biblical authority room and the video portraits and all the archaeology and all the the paintings and the architecture representing a particular uh, period of history... Uh, as we go through biblical history and then leading up uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the relevance of Genesis, which is really based on my book, The Lie. That's sort of what I'm speaking on here today. And this is actually portrayed in an exhibit now at the Creation Museum with an artist has reclaimed this old industrial building. That's really what it's meant to portray. And you see it looks like an old industrial building that an artist who lives in that loft there has reclaimed. And the artist is reclaiming the foundation of this old building. And that's a picture that we need to reclaim the foundation of God's word uh, beginning in Genesis. So these are really spectacular. And the gospel is presented very, very clearly there. Uh, As well as that, uh, we have new things at the ark encounter too Um, as you walk through the life-size noah's ark we've actually upgraded some of the exhibits and added some things in there as well and of course we have our 2500 seat auditorium where we conduct daily speaking programs and some great concerts that are coming up too uh, later in the year and as you go through the ark you can walk through all three decks of the ark absolutely spectacular a lot of great teaching and kids just like at the creation museum they experience biblical history kids will experience uh the ark and one of my favorite places the door with the cross on it that we need to go through that door to be saved that one door and that's uh the lord jesus christ and we just opened up a whole new section of the zoo uh at the ark as well and i'll just show you this is our new commercial that has been showing on tv uh, cable channels Seriously, Dad, I want to go. I told you it's not that big. Great-granddaddy couldn't even fit right. That thing's not to scale. It's a cartoon. The real one's bigger than a football field. For real? Come on. You don't even have to pay for me. Kids are free. All right. All right. Can't be that big. Whoa. (laughs) Told you, Dad. You just got to think bigger. Uh, tell you a bit about myself. So I have one wife, five children, and we have 17 grandchildren. And it's a thrill to see our kids raising up the next generation to stand on the authority of the Word of God. But what I want to do today is to look at two particular verses of Scripture. And this really sums up the ministry of Answers in Genesis, what we do at the Ark Encounter, what we do at the Creation Museum. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense or answer. And the word answer or defense comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetic. So we're an apologetics organization. We equip generations to defend the Christian faith. We equip you with answers to the skeptical questions that attack God's word. In this day and age, there's been an incredible attack on the authority of God's word beginning in Genesis, particularly on Genesis 1 to 11. And sadly, there's been a lack of teaching of apologetics in most of our churches and most of our homes. And that's one of the reasons why we're losing the coming generations. And then Psalm eleven three: if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want to challenge us that we need to be raising up generations to think foundationally. And what do I mean by thinking foundationally? I'm going to explain that as we go through, but we need to understand the Bible is not just a guidebook to life. The Bible is actually the word of God. The one who knows everything is revealed to us. All we need to know to have the right foundation to build a truly Christian worldview to correctly understand uh, this world. You know, as we look at this great nation of America, from a worldview perspective, it's becoming less Christian every day. Not only that, the church has a major problem. We did research on the millennials a few years ago when George Barner showed that two-thirds of young people are leaving the church by the time they reach college age and very few are returning. And we've done research ourselves to confirm that, and so has others like LifeWay and so on. And when we did that research and we went and had our researchers ask these millennials, why do you leave the church Really, it came down to they weren't being taught apologetics, weren't being taught to defend their faith, and you know most of them, 90, 95% of kids from church homes go to the public schools, where by and large they've shown God, the Bible, prayer, creation out. They teach you to explain everything by natural processes. Naturalism is atheism, and so these generations have been taught to believe evolution is fact, millions of years is fact. They're doubting God's word. And many of our churches, many of our church leaders and Christian academics have said, well, you can believe in evolution, millions of years, don't worry about Genesis, just trust in Jesus. And they basically see that, you know, if, if the Bible can't be trusted in its history, how can it be trusted anywhere else? How can it be trusted in the gospel message that's based in that history? And they had questions like, how can there be a loving God with all this death and suffering in the world? You see, we haven't given them the answers and actually... Because the majority of our Christian leaders have said you can believe in millions of years, well then that means all the death and suffering we see today has gone on for millions of years, so God's responsible for that. No, the Bible makes it clear, our sin is responsible uh, for that. And we see now the consequences in the church. If you look at this research done by the Pew Research Centre, uh, 56% of the greatest generation, those born before 1928, went to church in America. 44% of the silent, 32% of the baby boomers, 27% of Generation X, and millennials, 18%. Notice the trend here that we're losing generations from the church. Where's the church going to be soon? It'll be like it is in England, where you're down to about 5%, 4% uh, attending church. And then there's Generation Z, which is the younger generation, and George Varner did research on them, those born between 1999 and 2015, he found they're the first truly post-Christian generation twice as likely to be atheist as any previous generation. What happens when Generation Z, Generation Y, the millennials, Generation X, when they become the dominant group in our culture, they are so much, much more secularized than the older generations, and we're going to see a catastrophic change. We've already seen a catastrophic change but even a more catastrophic change is coming unless we can reach those generations that we've lost from the church that have been indoctrinated through the public education system and media so secularized that now they're very anti-Christian. And we see this happening all across the Western world. Whereas once in the Western world, Even if people weren't Christians, the majority of people believed abortion was killing a human being, it was wrong, or that marriage was a man and a woman, that there are only two genders, male and female. But what we're seeing now is moral relativism permeating the Western world. Gay marriage, marriage in quotes, euthanasia, abortion, pedophilia, gender issues, racism, they're permeating the Western world. In fact, one way of describing it, I believe, is using this verse of scripture, Judges 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what is right in his own eyes. When people say to me, what really has happened in our culture, it's very easy. If you take generations and tell them there is no absolute authority, the Bible's not true. This is what's happened in the in the majority of instances in our public education system. Throw God out, the Bible out, prayer out. Most of our kids from church homes go to that system. They're told the Bible is not true. It's just a book of mythology, and they're told it's man who determines truth, and man is the measure of all things. Everything's explained by natural processes. Then ultimately, anything goes. You decide right and wrong for yourself. And that's what's happened. We have a culture that, by and large, is throwing God out, throwing God's word out. And now we have generations who believe they decide truth, in quotes, for themselves. And therefore, anything goes. And, you know, for Christians who who understand how important it is to raise up godly generations, think about the fact that we have our children today in this culture that has like a tornado of moral relativism that's ripping around uh, this culture. And the tornado of moral relativism is unfortunately uh, taking with it um, many in the younger generations. How can we how can we stop our children being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes? I mean, do we know how to respond? How do you respond to, to these issues like abortion and euthanasia and gay marriage, the LGBT movement? How do, how do we teach our children to respond to them? How, how do our children know what to believe, why they believe what they do, and how they're to deal with these issues around us? Well, first of all, we have to understand what happened. And what happened began in a garden 6,000 years ago when the first man, Adam, was told by God, don't eat the fruit of one particular tree as a test of obedience or you'll surely die. And what happened? Well, we know what happened. You see, obey God's word, God was telling Adam. But then, well, the Bible makes it uh, clear that the devil came to Eve and the devil came to Eve and, uh, and said, did God really say you will be like God? In other words, the devil said to Eve, you don't have to believe God's word. You can be like God. You decide truth for yourself. You be your own God. And by the way, because Adam succumbed and sinned and we're all sinners, the, the, our sin nature is such that we want to be our own God we want to decide truth for ourselves. We, we are prone to doubt the word of God. And for those of us who are Christians, we've got to guard against that because that's our, our very sin nature. And so what happened back there 6,000 years ago was that a battle began between two religions, between two foundations, a battle between God's word and man's word. And that battle has been raging ever since. The battle around us today is the same battle. The battle hasn't changed. In fact, if you go through scripture, you'll see it this way. A battle between light and darkness. Those who build their house on the rock. Those who build their house on the sand. Those who gather. Those who scatter. Those who are for Christ. Those who are against. And you see it all the way through scripture. Even though people would say there are hundreds of religions today, in actual fact, there really are only two. They really come down to, do you start with the absolute authority of the word of God or man's word? Man develops his own way of thinking and so on. And, you know, I think we have a, a problem in that many people, many Christians haven't really recognized that this, this battle manifests itself in different ways, but it's been the same battle ever since the beginning. And we also have generations in our church who I believe they don't really understand what it means that the Bible is God's word. You see, for many people, I think they have this idea that the Bible's over here because a lot of what I see is taught in, in many churches, you know, spiritual and moral things, and relationships, the Bible's sort of here. Then you've got all these other issues over here, creation, evolution, and abortion, and so on. And we talk about, well, what should we, how should we respond to them? You, you know what this is? If this really is the Word of God who knows everything there is to know about everything... God, who is infinite in knowledge and wisdom. In Christ, I hid all the uh, 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 treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If this is a revelation from God, and that's what it claims to be, and it's the infallible and inerrant word of God, all scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, then what's revealed in here is the foundation for the way we think. In other words, it's not just a guidebook out here that you add to your thinking. It has to be the foundation for our worldview in every area. And so you see when you start with God's word we have to also understand that Genesis 1 to 11 is actually the foundation for the rest of scripture which is the foundation for our Christian world view. And so if we want to raise up godly generations we have to make sure they have the foundation of God's word that they understand that Genesis 1-11 to is the foundation of the rest of the Bible, which it is, and I'll show you that as we go through here today with a few examples. And then that's foundational to our entire Christian worldview. You cannot deal with any of these issues, whether it's abortion or racism or whatever it is. These are all symptoms of having the wrong foundation and the wrong worldview. Unless we have the right foundation and the right worldview, you're not going to be able to deal with those issues or know how to respond to them. Let me explain it another way. How do you build a house? You can't start with the roof and then the walls and then the foundation. It's not going to work. You've got to start with the right foundation and then build the walls and then build the roof. You see, if you don't have the right foundation and don't build it the right way, the house is not going to stand. When it comes to understanding God's word, this is the foundation for our entire Christian worldview. If you don't start with God's word, there is only one other foundation, and it is man's word. We build a secular worldview. You see, that's one of the things that really concerns me. I I can tell that people don't understand this when you go to Christian schools and find out they use all secular textbooks. They think that you can somehow Christianize a secular philosophy. If the foundation's wrong, you can't Christianize uh, a a secular philosophy. Uh, It's either Christian or it's secular. You see, what many of us try to do, and I think uh, what has happened a lot, it's happened in a lot of our Christian schools, even home schools, uh, happens in our Sunday schools, happens in our churches, happens in our homes. The majority of our kids go to the public education system where they're throwing god bible prayer out and they teach them naturalism atheism basically and what they come along to our sunday schools in our churches and then they're even in our in our um, uh, christian schools and then we try to put the christian worldview the christian doctrines and so on on these generations that have the wrong foundation And sadly, in in, in even uh, a lot of the, not all, of course, but a lot of the Christian school movement, some of the homeschool movement as well, we're letting them have that foundation and just basically Christianizing secular material. But if you try to do that, here's what happens. The Christian worldview collapses, and then those generations will build a worldview consistent with the foundation you have let them have which is the foundation of man's word. And thus, we're even seeing that many of the young people coming through our churches and Sunday schools and from our Christian schools and even some of the homeschool movement are very secularized in their thinking because we didn't teach them foundationally, starting with God's word to teach them a truly Christian worldview. And, you know, at the Ark and the Creation Museum, uh, we actually are teaching people to begin with God's word to build a truly Christian worldview and teach them how to defend the Christian faith and how to respond to all these issues. And we do it by teaching apologetics and by teaching them to think foundationally. And so what I wanted to do was to use what we do here at the Creation Museum to give you some practical examples in regard to teaching apologetics and to teaching uh, generations to think foundationally at the creation museum we actually walk you through genesis to revelation we call it the seven c's of history creation corruption catastrophe confusion those first four c's that is really genesis 1 to 11 do you realize genesis 1 to 11 is the geological biological astronomical anthropological history that's foundational to the rest of the bible all of our doctrines our christian worldview the gospel everything Think about it. The next three C's we go through here at the Creation Museum, Christ cross consummation, the message of the gospel is founded in that history. And we need to understand something. If you want to deal with all these issues today, whether it's racism and evolution and millions of years and abortion and LGBT and the gender issues and all the rest of it, we need to have the right history from Genesis 1 to 11 to enable us to have the right foundation, to have the right worldview, to understand gender, to understand who, who humans are so that we can deal with the abortion issue, to understand the doctrine of marriage that comes from Genesis, and so it goes on. If we don't raise up generations with that foundational history to be the foundation of their worldview then they will not be able to deal with all those issues out there. That's why I think for many Christians, it's how do we deal with the abortion issue, the racism issue, how do we deal with all these issues? Because they're all symptoms of a wrong worldview with a wrong foundation. And we need to raise up generations that have the right foundation so they know, ah, now I know what to believe. There's only one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. Ah, now I understand. Uh, We're all sinners because... Adam rebelled against God, that's why we died. Death came into the world because of sin. Ah, Now I understand, because there was a global flood, that's why you find fossils all over the world. Ah, Now I understand, God made male and female, only two genders. Until we have that foundation, we're not going to have the right worldview. So I want to go through these uh, seven C's, particularly the first four C's. I want to go through them very, very uh, quickly and give you some examples of how we teach apologetics and how we teach to think foundation. We do that through our books, the curricula that we have, our Answers Bible curriculum, which is our four-year Sunday school program uh, that many, many churches, over 10,000 churches are using, many of our books here. So let's go through that very quickly. So creation. Okay, the first C. Is there any evidence that God created? Well, we could cover a lot of topics, but I want to cover one in particular very quickly. DNA, that molecule of heredity that builds our chromosomes, has all the information that builds a human or a dog or a cat, an incredible amount of information. It's like a whole library of a thousand books and so on with all these engineering diagrams and instructions on how to build a particular kind of creature. Well, there's been a lot of research done on DNA. And what we found out that is this, DNA is not just chemistry. DNA is like books of information, and DNA as the information to make a code to read the information. You know, you can't read uh, my Bible in English if you only understand another language. And you wouldn't understand me saying that anyway right now because I'm speaking in English. But if my Bible was in Russian, I couldn't understand it. And so DNA has a code system and an information system. You know what we found from science? Information only comes from Information and from an intelligence, ultimately codes only come from an intelligence. DNA could never come about by natural processes. Do you know what DNA shouts out? Uh, shouts out, in the beginning, God created. God created all things. And do you know what it means that God created all things? What it means uh, is this: Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, with all that is in them. What it means is that God owns everything. God created everything. God owns everything. Think of an application there. You could teach your children. God owns everything. God owns us because he created us. He created Adam. We all come from Adam. That means he owns us. That means he has a right to tell us what's right and what's wrong. Think about why... Generations today rebel against believing God is creator because if God is creator, it means he owns them and he has a right to tell them marriage is one man and one woman. There's only two genders, male and female. And there's a good application for your children. Why do we need to obey God? Because he created us, he owns us. He has a right to tell us what to do. He owns everything, in fact. Let's go on here and look at some biology in Genesis 1.24, we read that God made kinds of animals, uh, land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. In fact, he made uh, creatures according to their kind. We read that particular phrase 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. And the word kind comes from a Hebrew word, mean. Now, what does that word kind mean? Notice it doesn't say he created species. Species is a, is a made-up word that you know humans have invented, but it says kinds. So what does kind mean? We read the word kind again in Genesis 6, when two of each kind, seven pairs of some, of all the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals, went on board Noah's ark. When I debated Bill Nye a few years ago on this very stage, he mocked me for believing in Noah's ark, because he said Noah couldn't fit the millions of species on board. Well, the Bible doesn't say took species of everything, and it doesn't use the word species, use the word kind, which is translated from the Hebrew word mean. And our researchers would say this, when you look at our classification system, kingdom farm class, order, family, genus, species, that in the majority of instances, not all but the majority, the word kind would be more at the family level of classification. And the reason they say that is because they've done research on all the different types of land animals. Take dogs. Uh, there's over 30 species of dogs, and we can show they're all interrelated. In other words, this one can breed with this one, and this one with this one, and this one with this one. This one didn't breed with this one, but it's still bred with this, It bred with that, it's bred with this. You can show they're all connected. So all dogs, therefore, would be the one kind, and it's at the family level of classification. And so only two of each kind went aboard Noah's Ark. Just a little interesting aside, in the Spanish uh, Bibles, actually they use the word species, but that's an incorrect translation, which is why if people read the Spanish Bible, they can get very confused because the word species is the wrong word to use because species today um, means there's different species within a genera, within a family, which means within a kind. And so Noah didn't take all the different species on board, he took two of each kind. And so with dogs, there'd be two of the dog family to go on board Noah's Ark, which means two of that family came off the Ark and produced all the different species of dogs we have today. Well, how could that be? This is important, by the way, this is apologetics, and I can do a whole hour's lecture just on this particular aspect. So I'm just summarizing it for you. But our kids have been told that Noah couldn't get all the animals on the ark. Atheists say that all the time. They will say that in the the public schools in mocking the Bible, that Noah couldn't get all the animals on the ark. And so it causes them to doubt that you can trust God's word. That's why we need to teach them apologetics. And a a very simple overview, simplistic look at genetics. Uh, This is basically high school level genetics. It's much more complex than this, but this still helps us understand the big picture. You have a male dog and a female dog, we have uh, these pairs here of genes, big A, little A, big B, little B, big C, little C represent uh, these genes as capital letters, dominant genes, little letters, recessive genes. There are thousands of these, there are millions of combinations, but this gives us the big picture. In sexual reproduction, you get one set of genes from the male, one from the female, fertilization, notice all these individuals here, and they have all these different combinations of information, okay? Okay? So they're all going to be dogs, but they're going to look a little different to each other. Now, as those dogs came off the ark and increased in number, over time, what's going to happen? Well, they're not going to stay together and some will move away from each other. And because of the incredible amount of genetic information that God already put there, phenomenal amount of genetic information, there can be all these different combinations. Some survive better in some areas than others. And over time, it doesn't take that much time, you can produce all these different species of dogs. And you see, for the evolutionists, they mock at this because they believe that the information in our genes had to be produced by natural processes, so it takes time because we don't see matter producing information anywhere in the world. And so therefore they say, no, this sort of process takes a long period of time, hundreds of thousands of years and so on, But actually, it can happen very quickly. You can explain all the different species of land animals uh, from the kinds that came off the ark 4,300 years ago because the genetic information is already there. God created it there. He put it there. It didn't have to evolve by chance random processes, and it can't evolve by chance random processes anyway because matter cannot produce information or a code system. Let's go on. That's apologetics to answer a question concerning... how. How could you believe in Noah's ark when Noah couldn't get the animals on board? But let's go on and look at some other aspects uh, here. Genesis one twenty seven. The Bible says when God created man, he says male and female he created them, which solves the gender issue. There's only two genders, male and female. And, you know, scientifically, that's what we find. We have the XX chromosome for female, the XY chromosome for male, chromosomes for male. Uh, And so that's how gender is determined. But get your kids ready for this, because there'll be people who'll say, ah, but there are exceptions. Well, are there exceptions? Well, here's an example here of research that shows that there are abnormalities involving the sex chromosome, which equals 0.06%. Yes, there can be exceptions, and I would emphasise the word abnormalities because there are problems that occur because we live in a sin-cursed universe. So because of sin, now there are mutations that can change things. And in fact, we can go through and list lots of different genetic disorders. Uh, There are genetic disorders that cause all sorts of different problems, and there are those that can cause problems in regard to the sex chromosomes as well. But that doesn't negate the created order that God made two genders, male and female. Now, here's the point we need to understand. When we start from God's word, we have a foundation that there's two genders, and then we understand the history about sin and the curse. Then in our worldview that comes out of that, uh, we can see that, yeah, science confirms there's two genders, and there are some exceptions. They're very, very small, but that's because of mutation. That's because sin has affected the world. Then we have the right way of viewing these things. Understand... If there are people who have the foundation, no. There's no God, a man just evolved by chance, random processes. They're going to have a whole different worldview to you. Unless they have the right foundation, they're not going to have the right worldview. And even though they might see, oh yeah, primarily we have you know, male and female, but because of the exceptions, it means it doesn't have to be in any way. We can change our gender if we want to using operations or chemicals, or, you know, drugs, or whatever. Because if they don't have the foundation, there's an absolute authority who made male and female, then for them, anything goes. And so we need uh, to understand that. So let's go on here. The Bible also says God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him. Do you realize that that actually helps us to understand the abortion issue correctly? See, think about this. With human beings... Male and female, you get one set of DNA from the male, one from the female. Fertilization, there's a fertilized egg. Now, all the information that builds you as a human being is present. It's unique. It's different to the mother, different to the father. As that egg then develops and the cells divide, no new information is ever added. You are 100% you, the unique combination of information from your mother and your father, right at fertilization. Think about that in regard to people who say, a woman has, to do, has a right to do with her body, whatever she wants to. Well, a fertilized egg is not her body. It's DNA from the male. It's DNA from the female. It is a unique individual, a, a unique combination different to the mother's uh, DNA. And not only that the body looks on it as a foreign object to reject. If you have a kidney transplant, you have to take anti-rejection drugs so that uh, your body won't reject your kidney because it sees it as foreign tissue. The body sees a fertilised egg as foreign tissue, but God built into the uterus this beautiful mechanism to overcome that rejection aspect and to say welcome to the uterus uh, and uh, develop. And so... As you understand, we're made in God's image. That also means right from fertilization, when you have a unique combination of information, we are made in God's image. No animal is made in God's image. So what's abortion? Killing a unique human being made in the image of God. Abortion is murder. That's what it is. Now, if you start from the foundation, oh, there's no God We all evolve by chance, random processes. We're not made in God's image. We're just an animal. So abortion is just an animal that you're getting rid of. See, you have a whole different worldview. Understand, we can't just go out and take our Christian worldview that comes from the Bible and then try to impose that on generations that have the wrong foundation. They're going to reject it. And that's one of the reasons why, and don't get me wrong when I say this, but you can't just go out and use arguments like, oh, Um, But, you know, uh, a fertilized egg, it's human and so on. That is true, right? And looking at the development of a human being in a mother's womb uh, using ultrasound has caused many people to realize that that would be killing a human being. But ultimately, the reason that abortion is wrong is because there's a God who created us, who made us in the image of God and murder is wrong because God is the absolute authority. You know, I was teaching on this here at the Creation Museum a couple of years ago, and uh, a young lady, she was in her late teens, she came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I've been brought up in the church all my life, and nobody taught me what it meant that we're made in God's image, that, that we're different to the animals and so on. And nobody taught me about DNA and that unique combination of information. I never understood that. And then she looked at me and she said, what if someone like me has had an abortion? And I said, well, you know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to give us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers our sins no more. And she smiled and said, thank you. I want to challenge us. Have we been raising up generations in our homes, in our churches, in our Sunday schools to have the right foundation from God's word in Genesis about being made in God's image? Modern science can help us understand some things to a greater degree, like understanding DNA and the unique combination of information to build the right worldview so they can deal with this tornado of moral relativism that's ripping around us. You know, abortion is one of the greatest blights, I believe, on this nation and on the whole world. In fact, since 1973, 65 million children have been murdered in their mothers' wombs in America. In America alone, it's two and a half thousand children a day are put to death in America. And you know, God's not going to stand back and do nothing. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And I can't help but wonder whether what God is allowing to happen in this nation right now with the coronavirus is a big shot across the bow to this nation and a big warning to this nation and other nations because it's affecting them all around the world. Because basically, child sacrifice to the God of self permeates the world. It's an abomination to God. You know, the Bible goes on and says that God made man from dust. When he made the first man, he was all alone. God brought the animals to him to name, and he didn't find a helper that was suitable. I mean, he didn't look at a female chimp and say, you know, she's close enough. I could date her he realized he was very different to the animals. And so what did God do? God put him to sleep, and from his rib, from his side, made the first woman. And when you read in Corinthians, for instance, 1 Corinthians 11, you know what Paul says there, woman came from the man. Actually, in the New Testament, it says the woman came from the man. She didn't come from an ape woman. Man didn't come from an ape man. The Bible says man came from dust. And because of our sin, to dust we return when we die. We don't return to an ape man when we die. And the woman didn't come from an ape woman. She came from man's rib, which is what the New Testament uh, actually attests to. And when God brought the woman to the man, he said, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then the very next verse, Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they will be one flesh. Therefore marriage. This is where God created marriage. He made man from dust, put him to sleep, made a woman from his side. He made a male and a female, the first marriage, Adam and Eve, and that's the doctrine of marriage. So the Supreme Court didn't invent marriage. No, no judge invented marriage. We didn't invent marriage. Marriage is a God-ordained institution, which means there's no such thing as gay marriage. They can have gay union, whatever they want to talk about. But gay marriage, no. Marriage is a God-ordained institution. And think about it. When they have their gay marriage, in quotes, two men, two women, why do they want two? Because two comes from the Bible. You know, Satan will pervert whatever he can of what God has done. I notice now more and more people are saying, well, why not three? Why not four? And then we have polyamory. Shouldn't anything go? Shouldn't we do whatever we want? You know, it's interesting. In the New Testament, in Matthew 19, also in Mark 10, it's recorded, when Jesus, who's the Son of God, who's the Creator, who doesn't tell a lie, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read, in other words, the authority of the Word of God, haven't you read, he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? He attests to the truth there in Genesis 1.27, that God made two genders, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. So Jesus is attesting to the historical record that we have there in Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 where he is saying Genesis 1 to 11 there, the creation account is foundational to the doctrine of marriage. Now you need to understand, if we have generations who don't believe in Genesis generations say the bible is not true and we have generations in our churches that have been told by many of our christian academics and leaders genesis is not true it's mythology it's symbolic whatever then you have no foundation for marriage then marriage you can define it any way you want but if you have the right foundation from genesis marriage is one man and one woman for life. That's what the doctrine of marriage is all about. By the way, do you realize ultimately every single biblical doctrine of, ma- of theology directly or indirectly is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? Think about it. Sin, Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we die? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? The animals don't wear clothes. God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Takes the place of the first Adam. Genesis 1 to 11. Marriage. Marriage. Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. God made everything in six days and rested for one. And so it goes on. Every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And yet, in the majority of instances in our churches and Christian institutions, not in all, but certainly the majority, generations have been told Genesis is not important, it doesn't matter, and the Bible then gets relegated to some sort of spiritual guidebook out here, And we wonder why even generations from the church will say, well, why not gay marriage as long as they love each other or something? Or why not abortion? Or a woman has a right to do what she wants with her body. If you don't have that foundation from Genesis 1 to 11, you will not have the right worldview. You will not know how to deal with all these issues. Now, as we go on, and I'm not going to go through all the rest today, I want to particularly do those in detail, and I'll gloss over a couple of others and then bring this to a conclusion. So... The next issue, corruption, the entrance of sin and death. Originally, everything was very good. What does very good mean? Good master, someone said to Jesus. Um, And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God. What are the attributes of God? Think about it. Jesus had compassion on people. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus healed people. he, He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed them of diseases because... The Bible says death is an enemy. It says the whole creation groans because of our sin. One day there's going to be new heavens and new earth. It's going to be a restoration. It's not going to be restored to death and bloodshed and disease and suffering. No, God will wipe away all tears. There'll be no more suffering. No, it'll be a perfect place like it once was. See, this issue of understanding death is very, very important because we see death all around us. In fact, people right now, because of the coronavirus, are fearful of death i got news for everyone. Everyone is going to die. It is appointed under man once to die, and then the judgment. Actually, non-Christians should fear death because after death, the judgment, and those that haven't trusted God will suffer a second death, eternally separated from God. See, the Bible gives us the origin of death. Adam, if you disobey God with this test of obedience, if you eat the fruit of the tree, you'll die. Adam disobeyed. That's called sin, and death came into the world. You know... The first death was really when God, in response to Adam's sin, made garments of skins and clothed Adam and Eve. He must have killed animals and clothed them. The first blood sacrifices a covering for their sin. A picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God judged sin with death, but God is a gracious and loving God. In doing so, he then provided a means of salvation for us. And he proclaimed that right there. In the sacrificial system that began there in Genesis you see the Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins the life of the flesh is in the blood we forfeited a right to live in Adam death is a consequence our bodies die, but we're made in the image of God so we have a soul that'll live forever we're different to the animals and therefore there has to be the giving of life or the shedding of blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood uh, for the remission of sins to pay the penalty for sin. And so really that sacrificial system set up in the garden was pointing to the one who would come and die once and for all. Because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sin. A man brought sin and death into the world. A man would need to pay the penalty for sin and and death. But it has to be a perfect man. But it has to be one of us because we're all descendants of Adam. And Adam rebelled against God and we and Adam. So what did God do? He stepped into history in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the babe in a manger, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, offers a free gift of salvation to those who will believe. He's called the last Adam. He takes the place of the first Adam. The first Adam was perfect but sinned. The last Adam is perfect God-man who paid for our sin on the cross. Now, if you believe in millions of years as a Christian, there are many, many Christians who believe in millions of years. The problem is, what you're saying then is this, because the idea of millions of years came out of atheism, deism of the 1700s and 1800s. People wanted to believe the fossil record was laid down millions of years before man. And so the death and suffering you see today has gone on for millions of years. Many, many Christians believe that. A lot of Christian colleges teach that. But then you're blaming God for death and suffering. Actually, it's an attack on the character of God. Because the Bible blames our sin. By one man, sin entered the world. Adam gets the blame. Now the whole creation groans, Romans 8. If you look in the fossil record, there's lots of examples of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. The Bible says originally in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, man was vegetarian and so were the animals. We weren't told we could eat meat until Genesis 9 after the flood. If you believe in millions of years as a Christian, in the fossil record, there's lots of examples of diseases, cancer, abscesses, arthritis, He's even a a very recent example of cancer that's seen in humans, also found in a supposedly 66 million-year-old dinosaur fossil. If you as a Christian believe in millions of years, then all this death and disease and suffering supposedly happened before God made man. But after God made man, he said everything he made was very good. Are you accusing God of saying cancer's very good, that the coronavirus is very good? Because if you leave a millions of years, that's what you're really and effectively doing. You see, those two things can't be true at the same time. You can't have millions of years of death and disease and suffering leading to man. But the Bible's account, if you take it as written in Genesis, death is a consequence of sin. And if death is a consequence of sin, and the whole creation now groans because of sin, then all those layers with the fossils in them couldn't have been laid down over millions of years They had to be laid down after sin. And then as you go through God's word in Genesis, in Genesis 1 to 11... We're told about a geological event called the Flood of Noah's Day. If there really was a global flood, you'd find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth, and that's exactly what you find. And that's, that's a whole other topic we don't have time to deal with. There's lots of articles on the website. We have lots of books that deal with that, showing that the more you look at the layers and the canyons and so on you see on earth, they weren't formed slowly over millions of years, but catastrophically associated with the flood and post-flood events. Then the Bible goes on and tells us there was a particular event, an anthropological event, if you like, after the flood. As people began to increase uh, on the earth again, we come to an event called the Tower of Babel, where people rebelled against God. They didn't do uh, as God told them to do. And so God gave them different languages. They split up, moved to different places, forming different people groups, not different races. There aren't any different races. There's only one race biologically of humans, two races spiritually, the saved and the unsaved but many people groups, many different cultures. It's interesting when the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome, that uh, they came out in the year 2000 and said this from mapping human genes from people groups all over the world, they said, there's only one race, the human race. Of course there's only one race. And that's what the church should have been saying all along. If we really believe God's word, starting in Genesis, we're all descendants of only two people, Adam and Eve. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15:45 says Adam was the first man, Genesis 3:20 says Eve was the mother of all the living. So there's only one man and one woman if we take God's word, then we should have been dealing with racism by talking about the fact there's only one race. Science now confirms what the Bible has been saying all along. And then the other interesting aspect of this, people say to me, well, well, how do you get black people? How do you get white people? Actually, there are no truly black people. There are no truly white people. Everyone is the same uh, skin colour, basically, just different shades. You know, this is white. I I do that to show you that I'm not a white person, because there are no truly white people. In the same sense, there are no truly black people. We have a pigment called melanin, and melanin is formed in these cells called melanocytes. You see there. And your ap- epidermis and they're like upside-down umbrella cells, if you like, and they produce the pigment melanin. There's a few other pigments, but melanin, the brown pigment, is the main pigment that we have. And so if if you have genes to produce a lot of pigment, you'll be dark. If you have genes to produce not much, you'll be light. Now, people call that black and that white, but they're not really black and they're not really white. It makes sense that Adam and Eve were probably middle-brown originally and had a mixture of genes to allow all the diversity that we see today And because of the Tower of Babel, as people moved away from each other, depending on who married who, who died out and so on, you'd end up with different combinations of genes for the amount of skin pigment that you have. And if somebody ended up with only big A's and big B's, meaning only lots of melanin, on their own they can only produce big A's and big B's people, only produce dark-skinned people. If someone ended up with little A's and little B's, In that culture and nothing else, they can only produce light-skinned people. They would have to mix back with the others to get back the original genetic diversity uh, that God had put there. Just like when you look at all our domestic varieties of dogs and so on, you'd need to get them all back together again to get back all the original diversity that was in the original dogs because now it's all been sorted out and uh, diluted, uh, and so you get all these uh, differences that we see. Wow, what a difference when you understand there's only one race. We're all equal before God. We all have the same problem, sin, and we all need the same solution, Jesus Christ. And so you see, this history in Genesis 1 to 11 is foundational to the gospel. It's foundational to all our doctrines. And it's foundational to us having a correct worldview so we can deal with these issues. What I've been doing is teaching a little bit, just glossing over, but a little bit of apologetics from biology, geology, anthropology, biochemistry, to say this confirms over and over the God's word, because God's word is true. And teaching us to think foundationally, starting with that history in Genesis, so we have the right worldview. So then when it comes to this tornado of moral relativism, when we've trained up generations to be anchored in the word of God, to have that right foundation, Then they know what they believe, why they believe what they do. They've been equipped with answers to deal with the sceptical questions and, and those questions that can cause doubts so that they won't be swept away by this tornado of moral relativism. Now, to sort of conclude this, I wanted to point to really what I believe is the main point that I i am getting at through all of this in fact it's really a one point presentation okay if you get the one point you've gotten it then we can go on to point two see there are people that say to me so are you saying that you can't be a christian unless you believe in six literal days in a young earth and take genesis literally as you say hmm let's see what the bible says romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart god has raised him from the dead and believe in a young earth and six literal days you'll be saved no, the Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible says? If you confess your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ. It's Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. So then there are people that say to me, so you can believe in millions of years and be a Christian? There are many Christians that believe in millions of years. You can believe in evolution and be a, a Christian? There are many Christians that believe in evolution. Then it doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does matter. You know why it matters? Because it's an issue of authority. You see, what we have lost in many of our churches and Christian colleges and in our culture is that this is the authority. It's the absolute authority. It's the absolute authority of the word of God. See, let me ask you a question. If somebody came to you and said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And you said, yes. And then said to you, how do you know that? You would have to say, well, because the Bible said the Bible. You want me to take that as written? Yes. Hmm. How do you know Jesus walked on water? How do you know he fed thousands as a miracle? How do you know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? How do you know all these things? Well, because the Bible says. And let me ask you another question. Does the Bible say anywhere you have to believe Jesus walked on water to be saved? Does it say you have to believe Jesus fed thousands as a miracle to be saved? Does it even say you have to believe in the virgin birth to be saved? You see, then we could say, no, so that means it doesn't matter. Are you saying it doesn't matter what God's word says here in the New Testament? And you see, we, unfortunately, generations of people are doing that in Genesis. And one of the things they're saying is, look, just trust Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, you don't need to worry about about Genesis. And what they're really saying is this. Because of what man is saying, you don't have to worry about what we read there in Genesis. You see, if I take Genesis as written, God created in six days, there was a global flood that covered the highest hills under the whole of heaven. Um, Only eight people survived the global flood and from them all people of the earth came. It says that in Genesis 9, for instance and death came after sin so my question to you is this if in the new testament you say oh no you've got to believe that that uh there was a virgin birth and jesus walked on water and he fed thousands as a miracle and you believe all those because god's word says it but in genesis god's word says six days god's word says global flood death came after sin And we say, oh, no, 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 because of what man is saying, because of evolution, because of millions of years, we don't believe that. Do you see what we've done? We've told generations, except this part of the Bible, but over here, take what man says and reinterpret it so we don't need that. And what that's done, two things. One, it's undermined biblical authority. So now we have generations who don't believe the Bible is the word of God. It's created that doubt that has led to unbelief through the rest of scripture. But secondly... It's undermined the foundational history that's foundational to our worldview, foundational to all of our doctrines. So we have lots of people in our churches and the younger generation who, who don't understand the doctrines of the Christian faith and what they should believe and why. And because we haven't given that foundation to them, anything goes. And so a battle between two foundations, two religions, it's a battle between two worldviews. You see, when you start from God's word, one race. Man's word, different races. God's word, marriage, a man and a woman. Man's word, however you want to interpret it. God's word, two genders, male and female, and humans. Man's word, you can do whatever you want with gender. God's word, abortion is killing a human being made in the image of God. A God, man's word, no, it's just an animal. It doesn't matter. When we take out the foundation of God's word, we see the collapse of Christian morality, and we see moral relativism permeating the culture. And that's exactly what we're seeing. You see two castles, man's word, secular worldview, moral relativism comes out of that, God's word, Christian worldview, Uh, the the Christian worldview comes out of that, and the Christian doctrines, and God's word, Genesis 1 to 11, is actually the foundational history for the rest of the Bible, is foundational to our Christian worldview and our doctrines. And you know what's happened? The devil knows, the secular world knows. How do you attack Christianity? Get rid of the foundation in Genesis. That's been the attack in our day and age. Attack God's word. Did God really say, particularly in Genesis? And many Christians have said, oh, we don't need Genesis 1 to 11. That doesn't matter. And if you get rid of that foundation, that whole structure collapses. And then they look up here and say, oh, look at all the problems in our culture, abortion, gay marriage. They're not the problems. They're the symptoms of the problem. You see, to truly understand this, we must raise up generations to understand the word of God is foundational to our Christian worldview, that Genesis 1-11 to is foundational to the rest of the Bible and our Christian worldview and all our doctrines. We need to equip them with answers to be able to defend the Christian faith against the secular attacks of our day that particularly attack Genesis 1-11. to Only then will we successfully deal uh, with these issues. And that really summarizes the ministry of answers in Genesis. We want to equip you, and we want you to be able to equip your children. And so we have books and videos and all sorts of other curricula that deal with these topics of creation, evolution, and apologetics and the book of Genesis. And so I wanted to run through just some of the basics. In fact, I call these the core resources of our ministry. And as a special for you, because we can't be there through the end of June, all orders of $50 or more, well we will ship them free so answersingenesis.org is the website and you go to our online store there my book the lie other than the bible i would call this the textbook of our ministry. The Bible is the textbook, of course, but my book, The Lie, gives the essence of what we really teach at Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. Genesis is foundational to the rest of the Bible, to our Christian worldview, to all of our doctrines. Christians should never compromise the book of Genesis. It challenges Christians to stand on God's word beginning in Genesis. If you want to develop a truly Christian worldview for yourself, for your children, we have to start with that foundational history in genesis 1 to 11. gospel reset hey the culture has changed god's word hasn't changed the gospel hasn't changed but the culture has and the coming generations are much more secularized than the previous generations we can't take the message of the gospel and god's word to them in the same way we've done it in the past we have to understand where they're at how they think in fact What I'm saying in this book is that we now have an Acts 17 culture, not an Acts 2 culture. We have a culture like the Greeks, not a culture like the Jews in Acts 2, and we need to approach them in the right way, or we're not going to reach the coming generations or this nation as we have in the past with the gospel. You know, as I've traveled around the world for the past 40 years, I know the most asked questions people are going to ask to try to undermine God's Word and to cause doubt that leads to unbelief, as it has done in so many of the younger generations and many of whom have now left the church because of that. These five books, Answers Books 1 to 4 and A Flood of Evidence, we call Answers Book 5, 160 of the most asked questions people are going to ask with detailed answers. You equip yourselves, your children, with answers to those questions and you'll find you'll run rings around those people out there who are asking you questions or attacking the Bible because you've got the answers to those questions that they ask. And so I encourage you as a family, those seven books are the core resources of our whole ministry. Now, we also have the Foundations Curriculum, Kit, 12 30-minute videos of mine covering a whole range of these topics with study guides to go with the videos, and we sell that at a very uh, reduced price. We also have a special for you, a COVID-19 special, our Creation Apologetics Masterclass. We have six self-paced Creation Apologetics courses. Normally they're $49 each, but the whole six, $19. That's a phenomenal offer for you for these online courses you could use for your high school kids for instance or for yourselves as well there's six self-teaching courses and so the fundamentals of creation apologetics apologetics uh, to science apologetics and the bible apologetics and biology apologetics and geology apologetics and astronomy they are great courses they could be part of your homeschooling actually glasshouse it's a book my son-in-law and I did together the classic arguments used for evolution that are taught in public schools and colleges refuted, all the classic arguments. One blood, one race. I and Dr. Charles Ware co-authored this book, dealing with racism and prejudice and skin colour and the origin of so-called races, you know, Tara Babel, all of that. And we have a curriculum to go with it. If you want to teach a curriculum on this to your students, you can do it with this new course that we have produced, the One Race, One Blood curriculum. We also have a book, surely for the whole family, but this is for you know middle school and upwards, One Blood for kids. You can even use it with younger kids as well, but it's a very detailed book dealing with the whole issue of the origin of so-called races and skin colour. covers topics like slavery and that sort of thing too. And then Dinosaurs, Dinosaurs for Kids, this is sort of for high school age, well, I'd say middle school and upwards, but a lot of pictures in there, but a lot of information on dinosaurs. This one's for little kids, dinosaurs for little kids, and then the answers books, eight books here filled with questions that real kids asked us, and then we put short answers in there. You could actually use it as a devotion series for your home. It's really the answers books for kids middle school and younger And then we have special rhyme books like this one, which leads young children to understand the gospel through a series of doors. And, of course, talking about the ark door and the one door, the Lord Jesus Christ. And books like A is for Adam, D is for dinosaur, N is for Noah, rhyme books that have all sorts of extra information in there. So you could use it as a sort of lesson plan, if you like, to teach uh, these topics as you go through each book. Big book of history that folds out to teach kids the true history of the world. And we have a more detailed one as well. And then our Answers Bible curriculum, nothing else like it in the world. It's actually a Sunday school curriculum. It's used by over 10,000 churches. It's a four-year program to study right through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation chronologically, but a lot of homeschoolers, thousands of homeschoolers, actually use it as a Bible curriculum. It emphasizes apologetics, biblical authority. It's chronological. It teaches biblical doctrine. It's evangelistic. It covers everything. I know of no other curriculum like this anywhere in the world. And then we have something really, really thrilling for you. We have just released, we just launched it, answers.tv it's answers and genesis our own streaming platform you've heard of netflix and disney plus this is answers.tv and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos are already on there we're also including material from ray comfort from living waters and there'll be a lot of material on there for kids and a lot of songs from our previous vbs programs Answers.tv has just been launched. It's web-based right now, but it'll soon have various apps that you can use. But right now, it is all web-based. And when you hit on start the free trial, it's a seven-day free trial. It'll come up with all the information for you to fill in there. Then you go into Answers.tv, you'll see lots of uh, pictures there, and they divide up into various categories, and there are seasons, and there's hundreds and hundreds of items on there. And this summer, Answers.tv will be launching a custom mobile app to be available through Apple, Google, Roku, and so on, so that you can access them. So I encourage families to sign up for that, because the cost for a year works out at just over $3 a month now that's not a lot at all to have access to all of the answers and genesis videos ray comfort from living water videos movies and we'll be putting up a lot of other material there as well so plus some great music from steve hess and southern salvation and our own buddy davis and our other musicians as well so it's going to be a phenomenal opportunity for you and i pray the richest blessing on all of you who've participated in this conference.